0: Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Zach Diamond. I am a middle school music teacher, and I'm a Modern Classrooms implementer. This is my third year implementing the model. I'm also a Modern Classrooms mentor, and tonight I am joined by two fantastic guests who are going to talk with me about teaching AP courses using the Modern Classrooms model, and um, astute listeners will notice that I said I'm a middle school music teacher, so I know next to nothing about teaching AP courses. So I am excited to learn, along with the listeners tonight, all about teaching these courses. Um, So up first, returning to the podcast, we have Shane Donovan, who is the Career and Technical Education Coordinator and AP Computer Science teacher at DC International School, which is also the school where I teach. So we're co-workers. Shane, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Glad to be here.
0: Glad to have you. And also joining us new to the podcast is Bernadette Desario, a social studies teacher and an AP psychology teacher at Alexandria City High School. How are you doing, Bernadette?
2: I'm great. Thank you so much.
0: Of course. So before we start talking about AP courses, um, I'm going to give you both an opportunity just to introduce yourselves to the listeners. Tell us a little bit about how you came to teaching, how you came to the modern classrooms model, and uh, where you are now.
1: Sure. Uh, This is my 11th year teaching. I'm currently a hybrid teacher slash teacher coach administrator um, at DC International School. Um, I came to modern classroom style of instruction while teaching middle grades and early high school physics at another school in DC um, because I had just a really wide range of student levels in my class. Uh, I also tried it that year with my AP physics class and that was eight years ago, and I've been doing it since with a wide variety of topics: um, intro computer science, advanced computer science, uh, higher level math, um, and and various physics and other science classes. And I believe that you absolutely can teach classes, even externally assessed classes like AP classes, using this framework.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we're gonna definitely get into that, and I uh, I agree. Um, Although I don't teach these classes, but Bernadette, how about you? Tell us about how you came to teaching and how you came to modern classrooms.
2: So I have been teaching for 18 years and I've been using modern classrooms now for five years. I came into modern classrooms originally when I was working in DC public schools and I had the, um, the luxury of working with some amazing educators, including Kareem and Rob and, was able to read a phenomenal article written by them on their use of this program. And it was still fairly new at that point in time. And I was very interested. And so I was able to slowly implement it with a lot of support, which was awesome and amazing. And uh, it's been really cool to see it grow over these past five years into what it's turned into. So it's been really fun to to see the full development of this and, and be a part of it.
0: Yeah, so these really are the MCP OGs here, right? Like this is (laughs) a lot of Modern Classrooms experience on this podcast. And both of you are mentors, right?
2: Correct. Yeah. Yep.
0: Okay. So we are going to talk about these AP courses. Um, And Shane, you already started alluding to this. I just want to set the sort of to preface this discussion, this whole idea for this episode arose out of the work that I and some other mentors were doing over the summer in the Summer Institute. We were mentoring AP teachers in the Summer Institute, and a lot of them had very similar concerns that they brought up to us. And so we thought it would be good to do an entire episode dedicated to addressing some of those concerns that are unique to AP teachers, seeing if some of them maybe are rooted in misconceptions, and also just hearing uh, about teaching AP classes using modern classrooms because it's great information to have. So to set the tone for this the discussion here, I want to know if you think that it can be done. Can you teach an AP class, an advanced class like this, using the modern classrooms model, blended instruction, you know, instructional videos, self-paced learning, and still have students score high marks on the respective exams?
2: So, I, I mean, I've been doing this with AP classes for four out of the five years. And what I have noticed, the short answer is yes, um, definitely, without any issue or concern, as far as the scores are concerned. The, it's hard to say specifically over the last two years with COVID, uh, altering the AP program, but I can say overall, um, over the last four years, my scores have been right on par with where they they typically are at the school, even slightly higher in some cases. Um, and we are seeing a very steady trend in, in an upward direction over the scores, again, it's a little hard to say with the last two years with COVID, uh, you know, because that changed the test a little bit for us. But overall, there has been only a positive change in my scoring while using the Modern Classrooms project.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's a really great point that I hadn't even thought of. Like I said, I don't I don't teach these classes. And, and the way that uh, the past two years have changed the actual exam, the external exam, that's actually really interesting. And I I hadn't thought of that at all. But how about you, Shane? You already give us the answer, but what do you think?
1: Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> if you, it is it is the best way I can think of to take students who have any kind of diversity in their learning experience and get them prepared for a class that is challenging. I also think it's interesting that we started by saying, you know, can they still get high marks on the exam? Um, I Though my students do get high marks on their exams, like it's fine, right? I actually don't think that's a super valuable measure necessarily of the value of a class. I know we'll get into this later about sort of blowing through content as fast as you can because you're trying to get kids to earn test scores. But um, yes, they can still get earn high marks on the exam. Also, I think we should legitimately question what we spend our time and energy on in class. Um, so that we actually have the courses be the most valuable things they can be and not freak out about exams course.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. It's the learning, it's the learning that matters, right? And the experience of, of taking the course. Uh, I guess let's dig into some of these concerns more specifically then. A lot of the AP teachers that I worked with expressed concern that they wouldn't be able to fit the amount of content. Like there was too much content demanded in these, in these kinds of classes. And given that you both think that you can teach these classes this way, you know, regardless of whether students score highly on the exams, although that sounds like they generally do. Um, do you think, I mean, how would you respond to that concern? Do you think that there's such thing as too much content for a modern classroom or content that is too difficult for a modern classroom?
1: Yeah, this is the, where the rubber hits the road about exam prep and too much content. To a teacher who says that, I would say, do you equate covering content with learning? So if you're worried, oh, I'll never cover it all, well, I'll say, well, yeah, you could cover it all, but you standing up and talking about stuff does not mean that the kids learned it. And so if you're like, oh, the only way I can talk about all of these different topics, me as a teacher, is to go really fast, dictate a super strict pace, um, teach in a very traditional style, kids will possibly follow along with you because in a lot of AP classes, students are entering them with really good habits already. So you say jump and they say how high. So if you say, I'm going to lecture you for 60 minutes, furiously take notes, go home and cram. And we're going to quiz you on it tomorrow. They'll probably follow you along, but will they forget everything within three months of your class ending? Possibly. Right. So I think that using blended self-paced and critically, most critically, I think mastery based progression means that, yeah, kids might go a little slower, but they will actually learn the material. They'll get the stuff. Um, Yeah. And that ultimately also leads to better performance on the exams. I think there's a side question here of there are certain AP courses that are worse culprits in this regard than others. Um, There are certain AP courses that are incredibly dense with facts and that don't reward kids for having really deep understanding. And and that's kind of a problem of the exams themselves, which is why I think it's important to take those results with a grain of salt. But Mm -hmm. if you're teaching a class that has a nice balance of having good conceptual understanding with some recall of facts. Um, I would say like, remember that learning isn't telling. So the kids have to really get it and really master it. And so if you feel like the only way you as a teacher can get through the material, like it's not about you getting through anything. It's about the kids learning the stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I feel about my middle school classes too. I I think that, uh, we had a couple guests on the podcast like a long time ago, two teachers in Australia, and one of them said something that still sticks with me, which is that we should be measuring learning and not measuring teaching. And like you said, Shane, it's not about how much content the teacher covers. It's about how much content the t- the kids learn. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you also said something really interesting, which was the idea of a mastery-based progression. You said progression, and, and usually in like the language of modern classrooms, we say mastery-based assessment, but I like that idea of mastery-based progression because it ties it in with the self-pacing a little more.
1: Yeah, like you move on. You move on to the next thing when you know the previous thing well enough to be ready to move on.
0: Right. And the corollary being that you don't move on if you don't know the the last thing well enough.
1: Yeah, and you need to implement structures to make sure that you don't have a kid that's you know still on lesson one when everyone else is on lesson fifty. But right. that's a that's a technical thing that you can that you can work through and that you can solve um, by thinking about how you structure things and, and all kinds of other questions like that.
0: Yeah, and that's also when, at least for me as a middle school teacher, when I see that a kid is two or three lessons behind, I will kick into gear and start doing my teacher things. You know, I'll. I'll work with them. I'll call their parents if I need to. But we have strategies for, for getting kids to, to complete work. But but I like this idea of a mastery-based progression. Um, yeah, that's very cool. Bernadette, how about you?
2: Yeah, agreed. I agree with everything that both of you are saying. I think that there are, although I love the conversation about we really need to rethink, you know, our are, are we teaching our students learning? I agree with that tremendously but i think we also keep in mind that even though we think that and we believe that and we want to see a shift in education to that there are still a lot of students and a lot of parents and a lot of colleges that need those scores and that want those scores and although i think this is an important conversation to continue to have and to push to start to see those changes i think there's also a reality that a lot of teachers and a lot of districts are dealing with And they feel that pressure of needing to cover all that content and it is possible. And I think that when you think about how to cover that content, we can take a look at the structure of of how you're structuring your course and maybe stepping away a little bit from the the traditional modern classroom setup and thinking about the standards that you need to cover and what are the best ways to cover those standards. So I may not cover every standard in a video lecture, but I may do a hybrid. I'm going to cover this standard in a video lecture. I'm going to cover this standard and maybe some sort of discussion aspect. I'm going to cover this standard in a practice So uh, it's not always as traditional as video lecture practice mastery, but I'm still able to cover all the standards in a self-paced model, which is asking the students to become more active learners instead of more passive learners. Because I think what we see a lot in the traditional style AP classroom, where I'm lecturing to you, you take your notes, you go home and you cram for hours on end is more of a passive style of learning, at least within the classroom. And what we're asking them to do is make a shift towards a more active style of learning. So even if it's not set up in the traditional modern classrooms format, the students are still engaging with the content more than what they would in a tradition or what they did in my class, at least, in a traditional style classroom. So I still see a very effective learning style or effective mastery Of the progression, because I I do love that concept, that I that I tended to see in a traditional AP classroom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So another related thing that a lot of the AP teachers that I worked with struggled with was keeping their videos short. They all were submitting videos that were like 10, 12, 15 minutes long. And a common concern that I would hear from them was that these lessons that they were trying to teach were dealing with really advanced and complex topics. And so it was hard for them to keep them under 10 minutes, um, let alone five or six, which is you know what we kind of recommend. And I'm wondering if you've all found ways to break down your content and keep the videos short, even while you're dealing with complex topics like you would in an AP class. And Bernadette, this idea of sort of a hybrid modern classrooms approach, and I mean hybrid, not in the like hybrid learning... <laughs> sense. But the idea of like some videos, some other methods as well. But yeah. How do you keep your videos short, your instructional videos? How do you keep them reasonably length?
2: So this was a huge struggle for me. I struggled with this all the way through my first year. Uh, And still, there's still some of my videos that that, that push it a little bit. But what I had to get myself away from, and this was a really big challenge for me, was thinking of my unit in terms of days. So I had to remove the concept of what do I want to cover in a day and instead look at my content, decide what was the most important, look at how I wanted to cover it, and then break it into that aspect of how do I want to cover my content? How do I want to cover these AP standards? And then what I would do is for the ones that I wanted to cover in video note format, make sure I was just focusing on one standard. So instead of a typical lecture where I may cover three to four standards in a lecture, and then I was trying to cram that lecture into a 10 minute video and that didn't work. So now what I do is break those down into shorter videos that just cover one standard, but students may work through two videos before they take a mastery check. But what this does, it gives us a pause, it gives us an opportunity for conversation and discussion. It gives me an opportunity to ensure that students have mastered that content just by looking at their video notes before they're moving on to the next. So they may not take a mastery check after every single video, they may take a mastery check after every two to three videos, which allows me to keep my videos shorter but it still doesn't eliminate that check-in process with them or me being able to do just a quick oversight of, are they understanding the content? Because I give them guided notes along with questions in their videos. So I can see how they're progressing through their videos as well.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. And I love what you said about thinking of your unit, not in days, but like in the, in the content that you want to teach and how you want to teach it. I, This is sort of the mental model that I use when I'm mentoring to explain self pacing. It's like we have to detach a piece of content from a specific day and time in order for the students to be able to self-pace. And I I love the way that you put that. I also like the idea of having multiple videos before a single mastery check because you can just cut the video and have them do another video, right? Like you don't have to sit them in front of a 12-minute video. You can make three or four videos even um, that can cover the exact same content, but you can have them do things in between just to break it up. And I also think that that's just sound pedagogy, right? Not to make them try and learn three or four concepts in, in one go
2: exactly and they tend to zone out just like they would in a lecture yeah so it kind of eliminates that zoning out
0: yeah totally how about you shane
2: yeah i think
1: i'd echo a lot of what you guys have said um i think that a longer video actually is okay if what makes it long is like a lot of practice embedded or checks for understanding type things that actually i've made I, teaching calculus i made a 15 minute video it was fine because it was full of questions, like embedded stuff that made it long. And that's okay. Um, I would also say that thinking, thinking really hard about what instructional format is best delivered in video form, not everything that you're going to teach is actually best taught via a video. And students who come into an advanced class often have pretty high background skills in some other areas that you can leverage. You know, They can read for content occasionally. They can learn content by discussing things with each other. Uh, doing a hands-on lab, looking at a diagram or a picture, um, and those are things that happen off the of video. And so you can definitely really focus on like what actually needs to be in a video. Um, I also think that, especially students that are older, you can have pretty frank discussions on them about, do they learn well from videos? So my advanced math class, I was doing pretty similarly in modern classroom style with a lot of videos and very little lecture. When we switched to COVID, teaching they all said like I want you to teach this live for a little bit every day and I said fine I will but I'm also making a video and so if you're really stuck you can go back and watch it back again Um, and so like being able to have dialogue with your students about what is actually the most effective way to teach them that's something that older kids in advanced classes actually can tell you themselves and you should listen to them because they know themselves the best
0: yeah
2: And I think if I can just pop in, I think that is where some of those like daily check-ins or those mid-unit reflections are extremely helpful too, because it provides students that opportunity to let you know what's working and not working for them and address that for even those students who may not be as vocal.
0: Yeah, those are great points. Um, I am going to shift gears a little bit. This next question is a little bit more sort of like procedural and structural. Uh, I'm not super familiar with teaching these courses. In fact, I'm not at all familiar with teaching these courses, so I'm not totally sure how they're structured. But I would imagine that there is some degree of test prep built into the course, like practice exams and practice problems, uh, things like that. And I'm curious how you fit stuff like this into your modern classroom. Um, Do you like teach the test, taking skills that they'll need, the types of questions? And if you do teach those things, is that also modern classrooms stuff? Is it instructional videos of how the test works, things like that? Or um, is that just, does it come through in your practice, exi- like your practice problems, the work that you're doing? Is it, is it sort of more organic? How would you, How would you describe that sort of test prep aspect of these classes?
1: I think the first thing is how you frame it to students. So I've always told students, look, tests exist because they're efficient for people to grade. That's why we use them. To determine all kinds of stuff in life because a multiple choice can be put through a scantron uh, and that's better than you demo, you know showing up with a full portfolio of every experiment you did in advanced physics and having somebody have to read it for six hours so i always tell kids like first off the test is a is a mechanism um if you do the quality practice that i put in front of you which in, even in my ap classes most of it is not multiple choice i give free response i give more quality practice. I say you will you will know the material well enough to be okay but also still we should practice the format that you're going to be assessed in sometimes just so you're not freaked out when you have to sit for a multiple choice type thing with 50 questions on it or whatever or even in some of the other courses I've taught there's a free response section too so we should practice those types of questions and so I think framing what it's for is important and then deciding within your instructional modules when is an appropriate time to tell students okay We're going to practice taking a miniaturized version of an exam for you know 40 minutes. That's based on you know the last four uh, modules combined, just so you get used to this test prep thing. I never have taught test prep skills in a vacuum. I always say let's look at the questions, do the content, try and answer them as best we can, and then notice if there's test preppy stuff that we can tease out of that. Um, So I think it's just like designing any other practice you give kids. You just think. How well does it align to the learning that I want kids to demonstrate? And when's the best time to ask people to do it? Um, As far as self-pacing goes, there are occasionally times where I'll say, we're all going to take a practice exam, like on this day, because that's how the real thing is, right? You take your exam on May, whatever, it's a given day. So you also have to practice that feeling of today's my Super Bowl. I better be ready to play in it, which if you do entirely self-pacing, kids don't always get that enough urgency there. Um, but I think there's no rule that I would say is easy to just dictate to a teacher, but it's just that you have the flexibility to design whatever practice you want to put in front of kids. You're in charge. You know, use your best judgment.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. How about you, Bernadette?
2: Yeah, agreed. I would also say, I mean, I do have certain days where we do all assess at the same time um, and that I just said in advance. So they know... Well in advance when we're going to assess and and when we're what they need to have accomplished by that point in time, um, I think there's a lot of flexibility within the the program to offer really however you feel most comfortable doing it. I the the wording I use with my students is every uh, assessment we do is a practice. It's all practice. The idea is to master the content. So. Even though this is is an assessment or this is an AP-style exam, the idea is, yeah, just to practice so you don't freak out uh, when you go to take that exam in May. And it allows us to have really great discussions afterwards. And because of the way the class is set up, it allows me then to even work in small groups with students. If some students want more, maybe this is their first AP class and they want more test prep or they want more... um, want more familiarity with it, I can work with some of those students one-on-one or in small groups with students that feel more confident and they're strong test takers, then we can work on something a little bit different. Maybe we can work on a little bit more analysis or application. So the flexibility of, of it allows you to really tailor whatever it is that your students need better than it would if you were trying to do this, I think, in a in a full class setting where you're just lecturing and then you would have to do a test review with everybody or maybe do test prep skills with everybody. This allows you to really just address more of the individual needs of the students.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think that that's uh, a lot of, we say a lot of the same things in non-AP classes too, right? Like this is just one of the great things about the modern classrooms model or this, this idea of self-pacing is that kids have a deadline that they know is coming in this case it's a very far away and very important deadline but you can break up the year into smaller chunks and you can say okay in two weeks we're doing this thing and you're on your own i mean you're not really on your own but your pace will be controlled by you until that day and you know what you get ready by that day is really up to you um that's that's really interesting do you like are your practice problems and your mastery checks are the questions informed by the style of question that the kids will see on the exams
1: for me definitely so i mean in ap classes and ib classes one of the great values of these courses is that they do have you know question banks that are available for teachers and i think right and i and I, like i said earlier i think some courses are are more like fire hose of content at your face than others but i I think the courses that I've taught, um, both in IB and AP, those practice problems are both aligned to the exams that they take in the end and like really good problems and thing, you know, good quality practice. So it, it's, it's really nice because you can, you have these massive banks of, of, of things you can take and use in class. And it does both. It helps kids be prepared for their format. And it also is quality practice that focuses on the learning, which is actually what counts.
2: Right. Yes. So in the videos with their checks for understanding the videos, I use AP style multiple choice questions. Again, there's some really great banks and College Board has made it pretty easy to to access those materials now. Uh, and then for their mastery checks, because I want them to be a little bit shorter, and AP Psychology is a little bit different where we either have multiple choice or a whole essay, uh, a lot of times what I even will do is take multiple choice questions and just remove the choices and use that as oh, what a, uh, good idea. a great – yeah, as a great mastery check question, um, or take one portion of a free response and have them just address one aspect of it, uh, and I find that works out really well, and just kind of helps build their confidence a little bit, um, but also provides for some really good discussions on about questions and about content.
0: Yeah, but also exposes the kids to the kind of question they're they're going to see on the actual exam. Exactly. Yeah, those are those are really that's really cool. So another concern, and this might be the most common concern that I heard from the AP teachers that I worked with over the summer. Um, They would say that, you know, time is really of the essence in these classes. There is that big deadline looming in May and there's a lot of content to cover and they would be concerned about students falling behind. Uh, You know, so I'm wondering As a middle school teacher, I know what I do for students who fall behind, but I I would imagine that the executive functioning skills of my students aren't quite on the same level as students in AP classes. So I'm wondering how you handle students who are struggling with organization and self-management and self-pacing rather than with the AP content. Right. Like I I can understand the argument that the stakes are really high in an AP class or an IB class. And we don't want our kids falling behind because of their executive functioning skills, which have nothing to do with the content or they couldn't manage the self pacing. And, And how would how would you respond to that? And how do you deal with that in your classes?
2: So I set some pretty hard deadlines, and I try not to let my deadlines go too far from one another. So everything is going to be a hard deadline every about three weeks or so to help address that. So that way, a student doesn't get to a five-week unit and all of a sudden needs to catch up on five weeks worth of instructional videos. Uh, So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is a lot of conversations with students who are struggling with those executive functioning skills. So I always do, in addition to a uh, public tracker, they also have their individual trackers. And we'll even just sit down and and plot the calendar. And, okay, what needs to be done? When does it need to be done by? And we'll take a look at students who are falling behind. I will say that first unit is typically pretty tough and rough when it comes to students who are struggling with, with pacing because we haven't built those relationships yet. Uh, but I would say really by about the third unit, they've, they've, for the most part, are. it's great to see their growth. You get to see a lot of students who are able to manage it a little bit better. You know, everybody gets busy from time to time, but overall, um, you really get to see them grow.
0: Yeah. And that's really great to hear uh, from a teacher who's been using the model as long as you have, because right now I'm teaching my first unit and there are some kids who are struggling. So yeah, but uh, you know, I've seen this happen too. a lot of kids. Uh, they they fail forward in that first unit and then they realize that something went wrong and they try and get it together and they do grow. They do grow. Shane, how about you? How would you respond to that?
1: I would echo the technical solution is everything that Bernadette just said. So short cycle times so that if a kid bombs a unit, they can learn quickly and have another bat, you know, another try really quickly. Um, Checking in with kids to figure out the root cause of their struggle with time management. Is it because they're working outside of school to like help their family pay rent? Or is it because they're addicted to video games, right? Those are both possible. And there's different things we do about that. I would also say more fundamentally to a teacher, like, okay, let's say that you don't implement a model like this. You lead a super tightly controlled teacher-led classroom, which results in even students with really bad organizational skills earning a good AP score because you cracked the whip on them every single day. You get to feel good that they got a bad, a great AP score, excuse me, And then they go off to college and they get smacked in the face, right? And that's actually like really irresponsible on our point. Um, The one thing that I would want students to get out of being in my class is that they grew in some fundamentally important skills that are transferable, you know, as they move forward in life. So I would much rather have you spend time in my class learning how to organize your life and manage difficult work-life balance and handle deadlines than like, get to that last unit on electromagnetic induction or differential equations or something. Right. And like earn an AP score. That's really high, but have like no ability to manage your own life going forward. So I think, I think you absolutely can both have kids learn all the content and grow in self-management and organizational skills. But I also tell any teacher who's struggling with that trade-off, like think about, I think that trade-off is worth it. Right. Because, the electromagnetic induction and the differential equations they learn in advanced physics or math class, who knows how long that's going to stick with a kid, right? Who knows what they're going to do after they graduate high school, but their ability to manage a workload, um, make schedules for themselves, recognize when they need struggle and ask for help that stays with you for life. And that's a skill that matters way more than any little bit of content you can squeeze out of a kid because you never let them fail.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And I guess if they do go into a career where they need that knowledge, it's not like they'll have to remember it from their AP class.
1: Yeah. Like they're going to practice it again. It's going to come back. You know, it's it's not a big deal. They'll, fundamentally, actually, they'll have the skill, the, the self-management and self-advocacy skill to like go learn whatever content they need to be okay. Um, if you come out of school with really good habits, you have the ability to teach yourself things that when you need to teach them. If you only if you only perform well academically because somebody's telling you what to do every five seconds, um, there's a lot of research about different instructional models and different charter school systems in particular where you know kids got great grades and great test scores because they were in these super controlled, no excuses, highly directive schooling environments. And a lot of students from those places get to future institutions and really struggle because there's nobody telling them exactly what to do every second of the day. Uh, And they didn't develop that skill um, because the school prevented, you know, took care of that for them, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that that's really interesting. I know I personally, as a middle school teacher, I have sort of like the balance for me between teaching the content to my students and helping them to develop those self-management, executive functioning skills has definitely sort of swung toward the latter right i i I have sort of deprioritized my content almost um because i i think that uh it's really important to learn those skills the kids in my class who are motivated to become musicians do and the kids who aren't motivated to become musicians learn to get by in a class where they're not super motivated right or they learn how to organize their work they see what's coming and they you know i still teach them music and i do it passionately honestly but like i think that that's a really interesting take shane and um Maybe a controversial one, but like, I, I agree. Yeah.
1: I would, I, some people would probably find what I just said kind of shocking, but that never bothered me.
0: <laughs> no, and, and I, I agree. I agree. Like, I think that, like I said, like any piece of knowledge that they're going to need in a career, it's not, it's not going to be contingent on them remembering what happened in like February of AP physics, you know? They can look it up. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. I think that that covers the, most common concerns that I would hear from these AP teachers uh, over the summer, and and I think that I hope that we've sort of conclusively established that these classes can be taught, um, and we've even questioned whether or not it's a question <laughs> if they can be taught if it matters. Um, that's fascinating to me, but I'm still curious to hear from you all if there were other modifications that you make to modern classrooms, specifically to your AP classes, that uh, accommodate you know the specifics of those classes uh, with which I am not. Personally familiar, which is why I'm asking. Um, like, was there anything that wasn't working with these AP classes that you had used in lower level modern classrooms classes, or is there some aspect of your modern classroom structure that is different from other classes that you teach at the same level, like because of the test or because of the the style of question? Any other modifications that you make to your modern classroom in these classes?
1: I think one thing that is maybe you just have to think about it again. Um, in any class you teach, but the decision to have, uh, your mastery checks or your end of module assessments, whatever you want to call them, um, locked or unlocked, uh, is an interesting decision, right? So I know a lot of teachers say, you know, I want to make sure that the kids have done all the practice and I want to check it before I let them attempt whatever. Um, other teachers say, you know, I'm, I actually want the mastery check to be available all the time and it's up to the kid to, you know, I'm not going to check all their practice because, I want, I want them to build some metacognition around if they're ready. And I would say in my AP classes, I've pretty quickly fallen into that second category. So in classes with younger kids, I'm usually a way more, sorry, you cannot even attempt my mastery check until I know you've done some practice. But for the older kids, I, I oftentimes like to say, you can take this whenever you want. You know, you should look at it though and realize if it's impossible for you that you need to do some more practice towards what I'd said previously about like the metacognition that I want you to be building is like, am I ready for this? Do I really understand this? Do I really know it? Um, and because students that are in those classes and at that age tend to be quite principled and, and don't cheat. Um, that's also a thing you can teach them by talking to them, but I find like having mastery checks available is really, um, it can be really empowering metacognitively. Um, And also like having kids do a little bit more of marking themselves where you sort of give out things like answer keys or guides and let kids sort of figure out for themselves if they've mastered something versus that knowledge coming from the teacher. You know, I graded your mastery check and you got it. Um, For a kid who's an AP, it's more like, and in my advanced math classes, I've done this, like here is a mark scheme that explains what you get points for Look at your own math. Did you do the thing? Like, tell me how many points you got, and then we'll look it over together. And that's a thing that you tried to do it with a younger kid. They're not ready for that. But as kids get older, I try and shift it more and more, where the burden of determining mastery is more and more on
0: kids. That is very interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, but uh, that's why you're here enlightening me. (laughs) Thank you, Shane. That's really interesting. Bernadette, how about you?
2: So yeah, I do a a little bit of a hybrid of what Shane does. So I start the year off with my AP courses with the mastery checks locked. And that is more so because many of my students may not have been in a modern classroom class before. And I want them to understand the process before they try to, to accomplish the the mastery check. So for the first unit and sometimes two, I keep those mastery checks locked and then I move them to being unlocked and allowing them to go through the process as they want. Um, and as far as giving them the key, I also do the same thing. I think it's super effective. Uh, we do that for their essays quite frequently with the rubrics because it allows them to have a to see where what they did and whether or not they'd give themselves the point. And it's kind of fun to, to hear them argue if they would or wouldn't give themselves the point. Yeah, um, And I think it really does give them a lot of ownership on them.
0: Totally. Yeah. That's very cool. Very cool. I had not thought of that. Well, we are going to be wrapping up pretty soon. This was very enlightening, but also in a way, like very reassuring to hear just how much of this really overlaps with modern classrooms, teachers in in all in all grades like all the guests that we talk to talk about how the model is flexible how students should be able to learn at their own pace all of this stuff that we always talk about it sounds like it all applies in ap classes too um and i guess you know it maybe it implies like uh, a questioning of the importance of the exam itself um and and a little bit more sort of giving a little bit more trust in the students to learn at their own paces. But, but that's something we talk about at all the levels. And that's, that's really interesting to hear, I guess, just to close out anything about the model that has been particularly effective or particularly beneficial with specific regard to these advanced classes. I mean, I, again, like I think it's pretty self-evident and I think that we've made it clear in this podcast and also the entire run of the modern classrooms project podcast that we do think that modern classroom works for these classes and for all, all classes, um, but is there any aspect of the model that has been particularly helpful to you and that you would give as advice to other AP teachers who are hesitant because of the concerns that we talked about?
2: Yes, I really think that having the must-do, should-do and aspire-to-do lessons within your units, especially for your AP classes, can be, I would say, can really change... The overall ap experience for a lot of students especially for students who may be this may be their first ap course so allowing them to have the opportunity just to focus on those must-do lessons uh, and really just kind of get a comfort for ap or ap level and feel like they're still being successful for your students who may be taking you know all eight of their courses or ap or advanced courses that allows them some flexibility in, okay, I have an AP Euro test coming up next week, so I need to focus on that. So I'm going to maybe just focus on my must-dos right now versus students that may have uh, taking a AP classes and they may need to focus a little bit more on one course one week, so maybe they can focus on the must-dos Or they don't have as much focus and they really find AP psychology or whatever AP course really interesting and fascinating and they can dive more into the aspire to do lessons and really get more out of the course that I might not have been able to do otherwise with them. So listening to some cool podcasts or reading some really neat articles or taking it just one step further.
0: That's that's a really great point. I would encourage listeners, if you haven't already, to really dive into this lesson classification thing, the must-do, should-do, aspire-to. This is such a big, big part of the self-pacing in a modern classroom. And, and I personally, when I first started using the model, didn't quite get it. And now I have definitely gotten on board and it it's make it's making my class so much more accessible uh, i guess i want to ask a follow-up question even though i said we were going to end brenadette did you do you consider the must do to be the content on the exam or is there like how do you classify the must do and the aspire to and should do
2: excellent so for me i classify the must do as the big ticket items on the exam So I look at what I know is usually covered maybe a little bit more than some of the obscure information, if that that makes sense. I know it's sometimes hard for teachers to identify because we think everything is very important, and I know it is, but I try to look at what are the big ticket items, but also kind of to go back to that conversation we had earlier is what are the concepts or the, the topics that are going to help them once they leave me? So what is going to be the most beneficial for them? And typically that usually aligns. What I think is going to be the most beneficial for them is typically also what is, you know, more focused on in the exam. So I get lucky in that fact. But yeah, my must-dos are are the big ticket items where my should-dos are some of the more obscure items and my aspire-to-dos are for those kids that really have an interest and passion in it that want to know more.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And thank you for that. That Listeners, for a peek behind the curtain, that was not in the outline. I, just, I was just curious, and I appreciate, I appreciate uh, the answer, Bernadette. Shane, how about you? Anything unique in AP uh, that the model has been particularly helpful for or components of the model that you found particularly useful in these classes?
1: Yeah, I think the, the tiering of lessons combined with self-pacing, what it does is, and I mean, this is the same big value add we say no matter what grade you teach is, it turns the classroom space over to student agency, peer to peer teaching, small group stuff, teacher as facilitator. And so that's how you get depth in an AP class often is, is from, so in the, in the traditional model where you, I'm covering all the content, the the depth is limited by how deep you as the teacher lecturer person decide to go. Um, but when you flip that around and you say, we have three weeks to explore how circuits work and here are some modules and you know here's, here's what we're doing uh, and there's a summative at the end or whatever it might be, you flip the classroom around and you get so much peer to peer teaching, which creates so much depth of understanding. And kids in AP classes, generally speaking, a lot of the times have really good habits and, and can teach each other all kinds of stuff and can debate things and argue things And if you just lecture at them all day, you never give them that chance to do those things. Um, You don't let kids, like kids in, in in my classroom settings, I've just seen incredible creativity from students because they're trying to practice something or teach their friend. Like I just talking about doing circuits. I mean, I had a kid who was like, I don't understand how this works. Can I go get some batteries and build a thing in this room right now? I was like, sure, right? I mean, that would never happen in a teacher-led lecture class. That would, it would be impossible. But his kid ran off to the closet, got a bunch of stuff, and like constructed a circuit on a table and was talking to three of his friends about it. And they, kids are ready to do that kind of thing if you give them the space to do that. And that's all about just the instructional design and the amount of depth of knowledge that comes from those things. Both will allow you to do well on a multiple choice exam or short answer format or standardized exam, but also that's the stuff that sticks with you um, when you leave school. Um, so I think that same value add of flipping the classroom around and rethinking your own role as a teacher and what you're there for applies just as much to an AP class as it does to any other grade level or content.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, that I guess is a great place to wrap up, although this has been fascinating and I would love to <laughs> keep talking about teaching and stuff, but it. It is time to go. And I really appreciate both of you joining me tonight. Um, I actually learned things that I I had not thought of. I think I I brought it up twice. I was like, I didn't even think of that. And I I love that. I really appreciate it. So, Bernadette, thank you so much for joining me tonight. It has been a pleasure.
2: Thank you. It was an honor being here.
0: Of course. And Shane, thank you for coming back and joining us on the podcast again. Thanks to you both. All right. And listeners, we will be back next week. Uh, Definitely head down to the show notes. There's some information down there and all of our social links and all of that stuff. We will be back next Sunday. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Praj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.